Well, we sing a lot of carols at Christmas time, don't we? Uh, and, uh, but you, have you heard this song? It's not a carol, it's actually. It's a song that never ends. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was, but people kept on singing it all just because it is the song that never ends. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was, but people kept on singing it all just because it is the song that never ends. It goes on and on, my friend. Has anybody heard that song before? A few of you, a few of the younger people. It's a song we used to sing at camps many years ago. And it used to drive me crazy because the kids would never stop singing it because it goes, it's a song that never ends. It goes on and on, my friend. And away we go. On and on. Some things go on and on, don't they? And maybe you think that I'm going, you, maybe you're thinking that I'm going on and on right now at the beginning and I've only just started at the beginning of the service, perhaps. But as we travel through the seasons of life, there are some things that continue to go on and on in the midst of it all. Now, Christmas is one of those things uh, that continues to go on. But Christmas is a time of mixed feelings. This season includes time with extended family and all the unresolved tension that comes out in the open. You might be able to hold it together till lunch or over lunch and then someone says something or someone goes on and on about something that they don't need to and before uh, you know it, there's a little bit of chaos or tension in the room. Anybody been in that situation? Anybody been contributing to that situation? <laughs> I know I certainly have. But uh, maybe as a child you loved Christmas so much you just wanted it to go on and on. You just didn't want the day to end. It was just so special. Remember those days of excited delight as you unwrapped your presents? Then it wasn't long before you were fighting with your siblings about who could play with the presents you had just unwrapped and it all unraveled as well. There's mixed feelings at Christmas time. However, there is something special about God that extends on and on and on, year after year, Christmas after Christmas. But unlike a boring relative or a fight with a sibling, what God extends on and on is worth celebrating indeed. And as we look at this passage today, let's consider this question. What does God extend from generation to generation that is worth celebrating at Christmas and worth passing on and on and on, just as this church has been doing here for the last 175 years? Now, a lot has been happening in this first chapter of Luke so far, leading up to the birth of Jesus that Sam will talk about tomorrow, but the events have introduced to us two women. So let me ask a question. Who are the two women that have appeared in Luke's gospel so far? Who knows the name of the two women? Okay, a bit of a mumble there. Okay, did anybody say the same name that my wife has? Elizabeth, yes, Elizabeth, that's right. And my wife has a sister called Mary. Okay, so that's nice and easy. Uh, now, what do they have in common? What do these two women have in common? If, apart from the fact they're both women. They're both pregnant. They're about to have a baby. And any kind of news of pregnancy is surrounded with significance and drama. There's so much drama going on. And in all the drama of the storytelling about the news of these two pregnancies and the text so far... Uh, all of a sudden the text slows right down and takes time out to record a prayer that Mary prays. It's also known as the Magnificat. And the prayer is one of those things in the text that slows everything down, like prayer tends to do. 
and it helps us reflect back on all the drama that has been taken up to this point. And there's been lots of drama. There's so much, because we're so familiar with the Christmas story, we may have lost that sense of how dramatic all these events have been so far, these angels appearing and all sorts of news and lots of things going on. So as we go through this prayer briefly, we'll, we'll flip back to some of the things, some of the key moments that have been leading up to it and explore what God is extending from generation to generation. Let's have a look at this prayer here. My soul, verse 46, glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. There's a lot to comment on here, but let me focus on how Mary praises God, his Saviour, for being mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary is indirectly referring to herself there as God's servant, but she is praising God for being mindful God is being mindful of her, of all people, her of all people, even in her lowly state. And this is where the previous passage comes into play. Have a look across there to verse 39. Verse 39, it's the bottom left of your bulletin there. Verse 39 says, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. It starts with, at that time. We're thinking... What time? What time is she talking about? What happened at that particular time? What had happened to Mary that had made her want to hurry to a hill country, to the hill, a town in the hill country of Judea? That's a fair hike up into the hills. Well, what do we know about the Christmas story so far? Okay, here's a few more questions if the teenagers are listening or anybody, any children. Who had visited Mary? Who had visited Mary? Yes. An angel, that's right, an angel had visited Mary. What was the angel's name, anyone? Yes, Elijah? Gabriel, that's right, the angel Gabriel had visited Mary. And um, where was Mary at the time then where the angel uh, visited her? Does anybody know where she was? Don't say in the kitchen or in the bedroom or anything like that. I want the, the place, the area. Yes, Elijah again. Nazareth, okay, and where does it tell us where Nazareth is? In Galilee, that's right, that's an interesting detail. Why does the Bible feel like, it says Nazareth, why does it need to say a town in Galilee? Well, it has this extra clarification, Galilee was bigger and the more recognisable area. Most people knew Galilee, but Nazareth was a bit of a back block, so nobody ever heard of it. So if I tell people around Sydney, oh, I'm living over at Enfield, they go, where's that? If I say, oh, Stratfield, do you know Stratfield, Burwood? They go, oh, yeah, I know Stratfield, Burwood. And they go, oh, well, it's just next to Stratfield or Burwood. People don't always know where Enfield is. Uh, not that Enfield's a bit of a back box, but it's not as famous and well-known as Stratfield is. Now, uh, start with something that people do know and connect it to what they don't know. But that's not always the case. I remember travelling overseas and I met a bloke and I told him I was from Australia and he said, where's that? And I said, oh, have you heard of New Zealand? <laughs> And he said, yeah, I've heard of New Zealand. Oh, it's just very close to New Zealand. <laughs> I think it was my accent that was confusing him. But anyway, Mary's from this sort of back blocks kind of place called Nazareth that nobody's ever heard of. So God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And basically what transpires, to cut a long story short, is that Mary is going to have a miracle baby in fulfilment of prophecy. The baby will grow up to be a king that rules forever. And verse 32 says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And we looked at that at the carol service briefly. Now, this is all a bit unbelievable. It's all very dramatic. I'll, I'll read this. If I was reading this for the first time, I'm thinking, well, this, is, this is crazy. What's going on? This is just unbelievable. It's just uh, something supernatural is going on here. Now, some people call a spade a spade. They're that kind of person. You know, what you see is what you get, as subtle as a brick, as, as, as some people described it. Now, other people are more sensitively indirect, and they sort of say things indirectly, and you've got to try to guess what they're saying. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of person you are. I tend to be calling a spade a spade. But what kind of person do you think Mary was like? Do you think she was sort of, you know, indirect, or do you think she was sort of a bit more upfront? Well, let's have a look at this. Uh, I think Mary was a little bit more of an upfront call a spade a spade kind of person. She doesn't tiptoe around the topic. Because uh, in response, she goes straight for the juggler. She blurts out the obvious question that everybody's thinking uh, about the pragmatics of the birds and the bees. Have a look in verse 34 there. You know, she's been told that she's going to have a baby. Uh, and then verse 34 says, she asks, how will this be? Mary asks the angel, since I'm a virgin. I'm not sure if you knew this, but uh, virgins don't have babies kind of thing. She's thinking, you know, what's going on here? It's a bit, bit of a crazy one. In verse 35, the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, this is all a bit unbelievable. Something supernatural is going on here. In a nutshell, it's a miracle birth. God is going to bring about one of the most amazing miracles in the history of the world and plant himself inside the womb of Mary to be born as a perfect human baby. And Mary uh, says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, I'm not sure she says that with a great deal of confidence. Perhaps it's like, um, this all sounds a bit unbelievable. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make sense. I'm not sure how that's going to happen. But, uh, but you know, God, you're God. You're the angel. May, may your word be fulfilled. But I don't really quite understand this exactly. And aware of the tendency for all of us to be a bit sceptical about the unbelievable, Mary also is given something tangible as a sign to back up what is said about her. Verse 36 says this. It gives her the sign. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And showing that she is human after all, she's not perfect, Mary heads off immediately to check out whether this is legitimate. Uh, so she's been told that Elizabeth's going to have a baby, uh, and so she needs to go and check out whether that's legit or not. It's almost like saying, I better go and check out the sign that God promised to give about Elizabeth because I'm not quite sure. I need to see it with my own eyes. I need to check it out so I know what God is saying about me is also legitimate because it all sounds a bit unbelievable. It all sounds a bit crazy, which is, brings us back to where we were at verse 39 at that time. At that time, when she'd been, received the news about being uh, about to give birth to a baby who is the Lord God. 
At that time, Mary got ready and hurried. She hurried. She just didn't sort of take it easy. She hurried to a town in the hill country, not just down the road, in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted her relative Elizabeth. And sure enough, just as the angel had said, Elizabeth was with child, just as God had said. The words of the angel were legit. They were, as we say in Australia, fair dinkum. They were right. And when Mary turns up, her relative relative Elizabeth says to her in verse 41, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Now this doesn't mean she was perfect, like the baby she's about to give birth to, but she has been chosen for a particular task to bring about God's purposes. Elizabeth continues, But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. Now Mary now, Mary now, after seeing the sign, has enough confirmation that something supernatural is going on here. She didn't take the angel at his word. She had to go and see the evidence for herself. And so her initial prayer of response, I'm the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled, is now expanded in this longer prayer. That initial nervous prayer is expanded. My soul glorifies the Lord. Verse 47, my my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary was praising God for being mindful of her in her lowly state. An obscure virgin living in the back blocks, unlike her relative Elizabeth, who was married to a man working in the temple, with the honour and security that brings, Mary marvels at God's mercy shown even to her. An unknown. Now this was all before Jesus was born. So she didn't completely grasp the significance of the great things the mighty one would do for her through Jesus. She was unaware of how it would pan out. But we know, because we have the story of what went on, we know that the baby Jesus didn't stay as a baby, but grew up to be a man, the man who lived the way of wisdom as God designed it, the man who offered himself as a perfect sacrifice through his death on a cross to deal with the judgment we deserve but not living in humility before God, but arrogantly rejecting him in our hearts. The man who rose from the dead to declare to the world that he was indeed God. In doing all this, Jesus was the way that God extended his mercy to people of all generations. That God in his mercy is mindful of the humble in heart and gives them unhindered access to himself that we can come before God without hindrance and fear. Now, in most religions, connecting with God requires the lowly to try and reach God out there somewhere, to try and earn our way through to the other side. But the good news of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas is the exact opposite. We celebrate that God comes to us. God comes to us in the person of Jesus, and we have access to God 
through the Lord Jesus. Something supernatural is going on here when God comes to us. As God reorders reality to extend mercy to us, the people of his creation. So Mary reflects on the mercy of God shown to her and although she is called blessed, she is still like the rest of us who need to bow at the foot of the cross in humble repentance. In this church, we don't worship Mary. We don't have statues of Mary here anywhere. We don't put her up above others. She, like the rest of us, was a humble servant of the Lord, fulfilling the role that God had called her to. We don't pray to Mary here because it is Jesus who gives us access to God. We can go straight to God. We can go straight to God. But that mercy that God extends is not just to Mary, but to all people who are willing to accept it. And that is what is reflected in verse 50 there, the key verse in this passage. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Fear him is another way of expressing humility before God. The mercy of God extends to those who humble themselves before him, as I've already mentioned. But there is a limit to his mercy. There is a limit. It is not extended to the proud in heart, who are deceived by their power and wealth. Have a look at verse 51 and 53. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Now, these words don't describe who God is. They're images that reflect what God does as he extends his mercy to those who fear him. Now, people in uh, society may be powerful. They may be rich. But in the midst of it all, The reality is that in the middle of it all, they've been sent away empty, directionless, disoriented, thrown back and forth by the cunning and craftiness of culture that tells them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. The one key thing that prevents people from receiving the mercy of God is human pride. Christmas is a reminder and it is a, a warning. For some of you, the message of God's mercy is an encouragement and something to delight in and celebrate. And that's what we're doing here today. Because his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. For others who are proud in heart, it is a warning. Scattered those who are proud, brought down rulers, sent the rich away empty. In the richness of Christmas, do you still walk away empty? because you've turned your back on God. It's time to be curious about God's mercy. Now in the seats in front of you, uh, in the seats in front of you, there's a copy of Dr. Luke's biography about Jesus, called The Essential Jesus. There are, you're free to take one and read it for yourself about who Jesus is. You may know the story of his birth at Christmas, but do you know the story about his life? His death, his resurrection, his promise to return. Feel free to take one today or give it to somebody you'd like to give it to. The prayer concludes at the end with examples of just how God's mercy has been extended from generation to generation 
we had more time, would go into detail. But he, verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. God has been extending his mercy from generation to generation, right through the history of his people. But Mary stands in the midst of all those promises of God that come true in Jesus. But the structure of the prayer begins by focusing on her own personal experience of God her saviour, and then extends out to include God's people around her and God's mercy extending to everybody who humbles themselves before God. The hinge in the middle, verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Now I asked in the interaction question uh, on the bulletin, what Christmas traditions do you have? Uh, I'm sure you've got all sorts of different traditions. You may have grown up with presents around the Christmas tree, as uh, Mike was talking about. Uh, unexpected ones that come out when you unwrap them. Uh, decorations in the front yard, maybe. Lights. Does anybody do Christmas lights in their front yard? Okay. Anybody been visiting the Christmas lights around the place? Street over in Ashbury there. That's uh, amazing. Uh, Christmas lunches. Most people have Christmas lunches and uh, all sorts of other fascinating traditions. Um, but the one tradition that God has at Christmas. The one tradition that God has at Christmas is, is his tradition of showing mercy, extending mercy, reminding us of the message of mercy. So as we come to the end of the year and approach another, maybe it's time to consider how we can get involved in more intentional ways to extend the message of mercy across the generations. Because that message, each generation, the message is going to be there, the message of mercy that he's going to pass on to each generation. We have opportunities to pass it on to the next generation, whether that's through creche or kids' church, teaching scripture in high schools or local primary schools, after-school kids' clubs at Friday Fields, committing to pray for the next generation above and the generation above us as well and below, helping with Friday Night Ignite Youth Group, now that Mike's going, uh, I've been asked to, to help coordinate that a little bit more, so I'm going to be needing some help at that end. We can all be ex consider how we're extending the message of mercy of God to the next generation. Let's be considerate and intentional about how we do that. Finally, in this season we say Merry Christmas. It's a very special thing to be able to say. There is much to rejoice and be merry about. But the greatest gift we could receive at Christmas is the news of God's mercy. For what we are really rejoicing in is the mercy of God shown to those who are humble in heart. So next time you hear the words, Merry Christmas, we could change one letter. What letter would you change to change the message from Mary? Let me give you a clue. Fourth letter. Change one letter. What letter would you change the fourth letter to? C. The letter C. So it could be Mercy Christmas. Mercy Christmas. Because it reminds us the, the message of Christmas is really about God showing mercy from generation to generation. And so may the words Merry Christmas, when you hear them, remind you of the message of mercy at Christmas. And I'm not sure if anybody picked it up last night, but when I signed off my email that I send you every week, I wrote the word Mercy Christmas. Did anybody, anybody notice that? And think, oh, Dave, he's done a typo. <laughs> intentional. It was intentional to see if anybody picked that up. Uh, and so I want you to be encouraged that when we say Merry Christmas to one another, it's a reminder 
of the message of mercy at Christmas time. Let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for you, that you have extended your mercy to those who humble themselves before you in reverent fear, knowing that you are a gracious and loving God and that you've sent your son Jesus to bring us peace with you. May you continue to show us how we can extend the message of your mercy from generation to generation as we live our lives in service of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.